This episode is sponsored by Macmillan Audio. September is almost here, and while I order school supplies for my kids, I'm also thinking about what I need to stock up on for a great fall. In my case, that's a new batch of audiobooks. Not sure what to put on your fall list? I've been recommending One Blood by Deneen Milner coming September 5th to everyone I see. If you loved Homegoing or The Mothers, I think you'll really get drawn into this powerful novel, which follows three women from the Great Migration to the civil unrest of the 1960s to the quest for women's equality in the early 2000s, with their stories narrated by Tina Lifford, Bonnie Turpin, and Jonice Abbott-Pratt. You can also look out for an episode of A Bookish Home with Deneen Milner coming up in October. Start listening to One Blood by Deneen Milner now, wherever audiobooks are sold. Hello and welcome to A Bookish Home. I'm your host, librarian and writer, Laura Zaro-Kopinski, and today my guest is Elizabeth Schick, author of the debut novel, The Golden Land. Inspired by the six years she lived in Myanmar and set there and in Boston, it's a novel that digs deep into the complexities of family history and relationships, and it was the winner of the 2021 AWP Prize for the novel. Elizabeth Schick is a longtime American expat and international development consultant. She holds a Master of Fine Arts from Lesley University and a Master of International Affairs from Columbia. Liz, thank you for coming on A Bookish Home. I just thought The Golden Land was so thought-provoking and has such interesting characters. Um, and I'm really excited to hear more about the book. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to talk with you about it. Yes. And um, we were talking a little bit before you started that, so part of the time, I think right now you're in Bangladesh and part of the time you're in um, the Massachusetts area where I live and you lived and worked all over. I see Angola, Malawi, Mozambique, Myanmar, Tanzania. So I think it's going to be really interesting to to hear from you and what it's been like to be writing in all of those places and kind Mm -hmm. of balancing it all. But I guess just first to start, if you can tell us a little bit more about the premise for the Golden Land and um, I'm guessing some of it sparked... um, from when you were living in Myanmar. So if you could tell us a little bit about that. Sure, yeah. Um, yeah, as you as you said, The Golden Land is, was inspired by the six years I lived in Myanmar, which was um, 2013 to 2019. Um, it's about a um, an American woman who, her name is Etta, and she's mourning the, the death of her Burmese grandmother with whom she had a really complicated um, and difficult relationship. Um, So as the novel opens, Etta is sorting through her grandmother's belongings and faced with a flood of memories, um, of childhood memories, but many of which revolve around a 1988 family reunion in what was then called Burma and is now called Myanmar. Um, So in the, the, the present tense is, is, I mean, the present <laughs> narrative is um, 2011. And so these memories from this trip to Myanmar in 1988, um, some of them are very, uh, very traumatic because 1988 was a tumultuous time in, in uh, Myanmar's history. Uh, the, there was, it was a military dictatorship um, and the military was really cracking down on anyone who tried to resist their their rule at that time. Um, but she also has some very happy memories from the trip, many of which revolve around uh, a boy with a big personality um, named Shui. So she's kind of sorting through these this this flood of memories 
which she she'd really suppressed for a lot of her life for a variety of reasons that the novel goes into. Um, and then at the same time, her younger sister, Parker, who is seven years younger, so doesn't remember all the th- same things that Etta remembers from that trip. She was only six at the time. She makes this impulsive decision to take their grandmother's ashes back to modern day Myanmar against Etta's wishes. So Etta is faced with this, you know, big question. Um, what should she do? Should she follow her sister back to Myanmar um, and face these memories finally? Or should she stay in Boston where she has a very comfortable career in labor law and she has this adoring fiance who loves her very, very much named Jason. Um, so that's kind of like the the premise of the book or that's how it starts. Um, it is, it, it, there's two timelines um, and one is 2011, one is 1988. And in both those time periods, it actually goes back and forth between Myanmar or Burma at the time and Boston. So it's sort of a lot of a lot of back and forth. Um, and I'd say it's it's really a book about um, identity and belonging and and just coming to terms with the past and who you are, who your family is, and um, how you kind of define yourself against that uh, that backdrop. So. Yeah, I loved um, the way it was structured too. getting those two different time periods, um, both for um, the characters, but also because Myanmar is so kind of different during those two time periods. I thought that was really interesting. Did you know right away that that's sort of how you wanted the structure to be? No, not at all. (laughs) It's really funny, actually, how it came about, because, I mean, I started writing um, so I, I guess I didn't answer your question from before where, where like it, the spark was from, but you know, I had, we were living in Myanmar for the six years, 2013 to 2019, which was right after they had opened up, you know, and the military had, had, you know, kind of, they weren't completely gone cause now they've come back. <laughs> but at the time we thought that it was going towards democracy and it was really, really, exciting time. Um, And so when I got there, I just like threw myself into learning all about um, the history and culture and food and literature and everything. It was just so, so interesting. Um, And yeah, and then I get, well, and also I was very lucky to, to be part of a book club, which was all these Myanmar women in my book club. And so they also talked a lot about the past. So I, I sat down to write the novel, not even really, I had no outline, nothing, like just sat down and started writing. And what happened was I, I was writing in, in the present, which was, you know, this 2011, because I thought that was the most interesting time, like literally a year after they had opened up. It was still not completely open. And then I guess just all this, with all this, you know, interesting stuff in, in my head, I kept going into flashbacks to 1988. And that just kept happening. And I kept writing. And, you know, by the time I got to the end, it was like, really a big mess. (laughs) So um, like, really, really messy, like so many more flashbacks than present, you know. And so and then I at that point, I, I decided to, to actually get my MFA, because I hadn't had any writing instruction before that. And I thought, you know, I could tell that I thought it was a good story, but I could also tell it was really messy and I didn't know what to do. 
And one of the things I worked on there was was restructuring it to because what was happening was that the the past story, I think I, I loved writing that story. And so it was kind of robbing the momentum from the present, you know, and it in that way, like if it was always going into flashbacks. And so that's where I, I sort of studied a lot of other novels that had two timelines to see how they did it. And there were many options, like I could have done, you know, one part in the past, one part in the in the present, but that didn't seem like it would work with this story because she's figuring things out. And so it, it's nice to have the reader figuring things out as she does, you know. So um, that's when I ended up with this alternating chapter structure. But then it was a lot of work to like reorganize it, you know, take all those flashbacks, which weren't even in order, by the way, (laughs) (laughs) reorganize them and, and then, and then, but that was a lot of fun. I actually enjoyed that part of it. Um, It was a challenge, you know, so put them into that alternating structure. And, and yeah, as I said, I kind of had fun with it. I enjoyed doing that and having the three parts and switching back and, you know, because it so the first part um, is the present is in Boston and the past is in Burma and then the second part the present is in Myanmar and the past is in in Boston so it's like flips. Yeah. yeah. So as you were writing, um, how did you kind of um, research the book? Because you of course had to sort of understand the state of things um, in 1988. And then, of course, um, in the novel, your characters um, or the family is of Burmese descent. And so I'm imagining you wanted to make sure, because I don't think that's your cultural identity, that you wanted to um, kind of get that right. So how did you go about all of that? Well, like I said before, I mean, I didn't set out really to write this novel. I, I, you know, when we, every time we move, I've been overseas for like 30 years. So every time we move to a new country, I always want to learn about it. Um, and I think the thing about Myanmar was, first of all, I had never lived in Asia before at all. So that was completely new to me, like a completely new, I'd worked in Africa many times and lived there. Um, but this was a whole new culture. And Myanmar itself had, like I said, it had been closed off to the world. So there was so much to learn that I really did all that without having an intention of writing a novel. I mean, I had written another novel before, which you know, was in a drawer somewhere, but um, <laughs> I I didn't think I was going to write it. I don't think if I had known that that was my plan, I'm not sure I would have done it, but it, mm-hmm. it just, I was just learning about um, the, the culture. And then, as I said, I was in this book club and, you know, we would read a, a book that first year each month and it was always books about Myanmar. And so I was discussing Myanmar and these books with these women who were from there. So I learned so much just just out of curiosity. I would just ask so many questions. Um, So a lot of the research was kind of done organically in that way, like that it it, I wasn't even planning to write. I just wanted to know more. I I just wanted to have I just had these questions in my head that I wanted answers to. Then, of course, when I started writing, you know, sometimes I'd be I had to look things up to make sure I got it right. Um, And again, I just I was lucky I had, you know, I lived there for six years and I was in this book club for six years. So I asked them lots of questions. I had other um, other Myanmar friends um, and, you know, I had one friend in particular who was Burmese American, but happened to be living there. 
with me, we were actually on the school board together. So, <laughs> and, you know, I would ask him questions about that particular, like that dynamic of coming back to a place where you had lived as a child, but had been exiled from, you know, because right. for me as an expat, I know what it's like to have, to be pulled between two countries, you know, like the country I'm living in and my home country, the U.S., but I've never, I mean, I have the privilege, of course, of it's my choice. And of course, and I go back, at, you know, usually once a year or once a year and a half, depending on what's going on. But, um, but, you know, these people, like they had to leave because they would have been persecuted. And so they were living a, away from their home country for sometimes decades. And then in this period, because this was when the, con- the country was opening up, Um, there were a lot of them coming back. So that was one thing that really fascinated me is like what that that must be like to come back to a country where you have childhood memories that you've been separated from for so long. You know what I mean? Like the the setting of your memories is you haven't been able to go back to. (laughs) And then then they could. And so there were a lot of them, even in the book club, actually, there were two women who had been living abroad or... Well, actually, they had all kind of lived a little bit abroad um, and and then come back. So it was it was. Yeah, that was part of it, that the inspiration. Yeah. I'm wondering, too, how kind of your living all over and being an expat, how you think that maybe has impacted you as a writer? I mean, of course, for this particular book, it gave you such insights into the setting and the characters. But I'm curious if there's maybe other things that have maybe influenced your writing journey from, from just having those experiences? I think, um, yeah, there's probably a couple of things. I mean, one thing that I just realized only as a result of kind of talking about the book (laughs) that I, because, so I've lived in eight countries and in the last, like I said, like almost 30 years, which also, you know, I've had children, I've adult children now. So each country that I've lived in and each, you know, it, each setting is, is a different part of my life. You know, like people like to ask me, oh, which country did you like most? And I can never answer that question. Cause it's like, you know, one country is where I met my husband. One country is where we, you know, we, the time when we got married and we're newlyweds. And then another country is where my children were born. And another is where they were little kids and another is where they went to high school. And so it's like, it's like my memories have different settings to them. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> so I think well, that's I, so interesting. That's why setting is so important to me. Like set, I, I think setting is a character in this book, and I usually seek out other books where setting is a character because I, I've, I'm so drawn to that. You know. I am too, and I, I want to ask about that. If aspiring writers are listening and are really working to capture setting, and they want the setting to be a character in their book, it's something that's a, a big piece of the story. What tips would you give for sort of bringing a setting to life or really anything you picked up in your MFA that helped you with setting? Um, so if we're just talking about setting as opposed to culture, <laughs> which is a, yeah. whole different, a whole different thing. But, um, you know, what I try to do is just really pay attention to um, the, like the seasons and, you know, the, the, what would be happening each season, like the, the flora, the weather. Um, and then even to make as much as I can, like the, 
you know, if I'm trying to, to use metaphors, I try to make them um, fit into the setting, you know, like I'm not going to use a baseball metaphor in Myanmar, you know, like I try to right, use one right. that would, would fit, that makes sense. Yeah, I guess that's the main thing. And just kind of, yeah, immersing yourself in it as much as possible. Um, just right. feeling it. I mean, I am, you know, I'm lucky because I lived there for six years. So I really, I can close my eyes right now and picture it and smell it and hear it. And, you know, and that's, yeah. that's really, I think that's really important. But I mean, it's not always possible to live in a place for that long. Um, <laughs> right. But, and then well, the, cult, the culture part of it, I think, the thing that I've learned living overseas and living in so many different cultures, um, the biggest thing I've learned is, is how little I, I can ever know. And I think it's from that place of humility that I write, you know, like I, I recognize very, very much how complicated culture as a concept is, how, you know, how complicated our culture is, you know, that's what, like, if you don't, you know, you don't like, if you think about, our culture and how different it was 10 years ago or 20 years ago or 30 years ago and you know how different other people maybe even in your own family might experience the culture and like every culture is that complicated you know it has so many different dimensions to it and that's one thing I've just realized is like that they're also complicated and and I think I was very aware of that you know going in I wanted to make sure I got you know, as much as I could write, I'm sure I've made some mistakes, but, um, you know, I just think that plate coming from that place of humility, like I don't know. So I have to do the work to find out. Right. That's such a good important. point too, because it's in the place that you're from, I think it's easier to understand. Like I would think like American culture, since I, you know, live here and I'm from here feels too big. Like I think more of regions or, like writing, I would think more of like, I know New England, but I don't know the whole rest of the country. And I think mm -hmm. when we're thinking of countries around the world that we're not as familiar with, you think of like capturing the culture of a country, but it's, it has you to can't. be so much more narrow. Because yeah. um, even yeah, within New England, right, you have, you know, hundreds of different microcultures and, you know, there's, right. stuff, there's just so much. It, it's such a big concept. And I, I think that's, just so important to recognize that and 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 be prepared to ask you know and that that's you know I I was really lucky living there and I could ask people questions like I remember very vividly meeting somebody who was in a journalist and so like I was able to I was like oh you know I have this question like how did you because he had been a journalist back in 1988 you know he and I, I said how did you guys get your your writing out of the country, you know, when it was the censorship laws were so, so strict. I mean, you really couldn't, there, there were no local run, you know, newspapers or magazines that weren't like basically being, you know, managed by the military. So I asked him, you know, how, how did you get these stories out? Cause they did get out, you know, they did get, there were people outside um, like in, on the Thai border and there were these, different publications that were getting the stories out. And he told me like, we would sneak them out in crates of lentils. So I was like, that detail wow. is going in this book. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it is in there because that's just precious. Like what you can learn from people, not Google and not, not, I mean, you can learn a lot from, I think personally from novels because like you, 
you're in, you know, you're, you're in the footsteps of somebody. Um, but you've got to talk to people. Right. That's key. Which is hard for us introvert writers sometimes. I it think. is. It is. <laughs> yeah, definitely. An introvert. Um, well, the other thing I wanted to ask about, because I feel like there's so many different reasons why somebody might do. So you did a low residency MFA, which I'd love to hear yes. just kind of what that is and your experience. And I think there's a lot of reasons people might choose that, you know, mm-hmm. you were living as an expat, but it could be because people are working full time or um, busy with kids and things. So I'm guessing some people would be curious about yeah. how a program like that works and, and how you found it. Yeah, um, that's a great question. I had a wonderful, wonderful experience. So I went to Lesley University, which is um, based in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And, you know, I, I mainly chose it because it was near family so that if I was going to be coming home, you know, more than once a year, because I had to come twice a year for the program that I could also see my mother, you know, my father. And um, so it's the way it works is that you go twice a year for what they call a residency, which um, is usually around nine or 10 days. Um, and those are really, you know, exhausting, intensive days. You'll do, you'll have seminars, you'll have workshops where you, you know, critique each other's writing, um, all kinds of different things, readings. Um, but it's, it's just amazing. As I mean, for me, because I think being an expat and also coming very late to writing in my life, I, I wrote in isolation and I didn't take myself very seriously. That was one of the main reasons I did the MFA. Cause I, I was just like, I would write when, you know, the kids were at school and then vacation would come and I wouldn't write for like even, you know, the whole, the whole summer vacation. And then it would take me like two months to start again. And I just wasn't, I wasn't taking it very seriously. So that being surrounded by other writers was, was just amazing. And then, like you said, the people who choose this, this um, model of a program are usually, um, you know, working or they have families. Um, and as a result, they were in my, like in my cohort, um, I was afraid I would be the oldest. (laughs) Um, but actually I ended up being one of the youngest and I was 50 when I graduated. So that was like really nice too to be kind of in, you know, I mean that, and that was not, it's not always like that. There are actually are people from all different ages. I mean, literally you have some people coming in right out of college and you have some people who are like in their seventies or eighties, um, you know, and they just want to do this. Um, so it was like, in terms of life experience, you just got this wide range. Um, and then in between the two residencies, you work with a mentor and just emailing your pages to them. So I think, we had to email um, and we had to write, I think it was 6,000 words um, a month. I'm pretty sure we had to send. And then they would, you know, they would send you back um, detailed comments. And that was just so great to have somebody engaged in your writing, like as engaged as you are practically in your writing, asking questions. And um, so for me, it was a great experience. Um, so it's four, we did four semesters like that. And then, I mean, yeah, four semesters, so two years. And then the fifth semester, you come in and you 
give you you're just there for half of the residency and you you have to give a seminar in something um because it is a teaching degree the mfa so i'm not teaching but many people what did you give a seminar in mine was in writing about other cultures oh that's great (laughs) yeah and then you also do um a reading you know you're fine you read your your thesis is what you submit so my thesis was the first part of the golden land like that's the first very cool it's just, pages. yeah there's so many different sort of roads to publication and i i don't think we really had anybody on talking about a residency mfa so that's really nice to get to hear about I do always love to hear what guests have been reading lately we've been talking lots of writing but um have there been any books you've been really enjoying lately you'd want to recommend to listeners? So the, you know, the one that comes to mind that I just loved, and it's not, it's not really that new, um, actually, because I know she has another novel out already, which I haven't read yet, but it's called Behold the Dreamers by Imbolo Mbue, who's a Cameroonian-American writer. Um, and I just, you know, I, I just loved it. It's about a, a family from Cameroon trying to make a life in New York City. And then the the husband um, gets a job as a chauffeur for um, a guy who works on Wall Street. And it's kind of about these two families and how they, um, you know, what they learn from each other and, you know, like a bunch of things happen. <laughs> like, um, and just you know, the influence they have on each other. And I I just loved, I just thought she captured it so well, like that, both being, you know, being an immigrant, but also like just the, those cultural misunderstandings and also those connections that you have. Like, I just love stories about two different cultures. So I really, really love that one. Um, But since I've been living in Bangladesh, I've been mostly trying to read novels set there. So I just finished, um, there's a trilogy called the Bangladesh Trilogy (laughs) by um, uh, Tamima Anam is her name. And it's, um, there's three books, uh, A Golden Age, The Good Muslim, and um, The Bones of Grace. And it takes you from, from 1971, which was when Bangladesh got, um, fought a war of independence from Pakistan because they had been actually being ruled by Pakistan at that time and through until the modern day. Um, and actually, funnily enough, the, the third book, I was so surprised when I opened it up and started reading, it actually opens in that neighborhood where I did my MFA in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, I mean, then it goes back to Bangladesh. So that was kind of really, really funny. But it was a great way to learn about... Um, about the country. Um, and right now I'm in the middle of another one. It's a lot more, well, I mean, it's, it's quite disturbing actually, but, um, it's called shame and her name is similar sounding with Taslima Nazrin. And it's a book about, um, kind of religious violence in Bangladesh. Mm. Um, so it's a, it's a lot harder to read, but, um, really important, you know, like I said, I I like to learn through novels. So I tend to seek them out. Um, Yeah, I like to learn through novels as well. I'll definitely link to those. Um, Well, are you able to share anything about what you've been working on um, lately or what's um, 
coming next in a book for you? So I'm sort of doing two things at once. I, um, as I mentioned before, I do have this novel in a drawer <laughs> um, <laughs> and it's, um, it's that old that it actually is in a drawer. Like it's actually printed out. <laughs> um, but it's set in Malawi where I had lived before. And um, I would really like to kind of, um, you know, spruce that up and, and see if I can get that published. Um, and that's about an American woman, you know, like myself, live, going to Malawi for the first time. So living abroad for the first time um, and kind of what she learns about herself um, in that process. And so that's, so I'm sort of half, you know, working on that. And then, and then I'm just beginning to think about something else. It's very, very early stages, but that maybe might be set in Bangladesh, but it would again be about an American expat woman. <laughs> that seems to be my theme, <laughs> not with the golden land, but yeah. So I don't that's know cool. if I can and do it's... both at once, but we're trying to, I'm trying Right. Well, it's it's just kind of fascinating as a writer to have so many settings that you know so well that you can draw upon. Um, mm. I think that just makes for a very rich um, writing life, I bet. Um, yeah. 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 Well, um, I just so enjoyed The Golden Land, um, and I know that listeners will too. It's just a fascinating read. So I hope they go um, pick up a copy at their local bookstore, at the library, and it was just um, really interesting to get to chat with you, and best of luck the upcoming writing projects. Thank you so much. It was really nice to talk with you as well. Thanks for having Thank me. For links to all of the books mentioned on this week's episode, you can visit abookishhome.com. If you are enjoying the show, I hope you take a minute to subscribe and also rate and review wherever you get your podcast. And if you enjoyed this episode, I would encourage you to share it on social media to help other people find the show and this episode. Thanks for listening, everyone, and happy reading.